quiet, I think I'm on. Well, good morning again. I, uh, <clears throat> as many of you know, uh, Jimmy and Michelle are away on a trip to Israel uh, with several other members, and um, I am speaking today in his stead. We will continue uh, the series that he started a couple of weeks ago uh, in the book, or from the book of Colossians. Memorial Day weekend, Jimmy started the series uh, in the book of Colossians chapter 1 called Full Reconciliation. Uh, he provided a definition as to how we should be at full reconciliation with Jesus and understanding that our part in this full reconciliation situation is that uh, we accept and embrace agape love and then striving toward unity with Christ was the definition that he shared with us, which I think is a very good one. He talked about how grace and forgiveness sets apart everything. Sunday a week ago in the series, Colossians 1 verse 9 to 14, he brought to our attention two words. And the words were, so that, so that. When he talked about this meaning Paul building a bridge where he's sharing some ideas and he's sharing some thoughts. And he'll give you a little bit now and a little bit later and a little bit more further on. He says how Paul is building a bridge where eventually he wants to get us to go. Listen again to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption in his name. For today we will continue this series, and uh, one of the takeaways that I want to do my best to share and to hopefully involve understanding is on the subject of why Paul, why Paul had such confidence in the words that he wrote to the church at Colossae. 
In fact, Paul tells us in the text today the reason for his confidence. And I hope to bring that out and elaborate on that a little bit. And hopefully you'll be with me as we go through this journey together. Why should we then, if Paul had confidence in his writings that he, worked, that he wrote to the church at Corinth, and here we are centuries later, we're reading those same words, why should we? And how can we be confident in what Paul wrote when we read it today? What does it mean for us? The word of God is everlasting. It is eternal. And so what it meant then, it still means today. It is a living document how we can learn about God and understand God and, 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 and be recipients of God's blessings. And how do we do that? It has to do with understanding. When I think about Paul, his level of confidence, it has to do with understanding the supremacy of the Son of God. In fact, that's my title for today's lesson, The Supremacy of the Son of God. Paul dedicated his life and lived by the teachings of the Son of God. This text is so critical to our understanding of the supremacy of the Son of God, and I, I want to ensure that we have the opportunity to gain the most comprehensible understanding as we walk through this text this morning. And so I want to take this text verse by verse, and then we'll develop some thoughts around each of the verse from Colossians chapter 15 and following. The Son, the Bible says in verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Well, what does that mean? Well, In case thought just occurred to me here, give me a second. It means exactly what it says. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You may recall in the book of John where Jesus is speaking to the disciples in John 14 and verse number 6, where he says to the disciples, I am he, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And then Philip said, listening to what the Lord had just told him, said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Then the Lord answered Philip and the rest of the apostles, the latter part of verse number nine, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. But as we think about what Jesus told them, let's also take in consideration what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter one and verse number three, the first sentence, for the Bible says, that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power. 
So the Hebrew writer is telling us this morning, church, that Jesus is somewhat like God, almost like God. No, not somewhat, not almost, but the exact representation of his being. This is why Jesus could say to Philip and the rest of the apostles in John 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Are you with me now? For the second part of verse 15, the Bible says that he is the firstborn of all creation. This is a very key concept here. Has the reference to the fact that Jesus is preeminent over creation. And not that he is a created being. That's very important to capture here. Because when we talk about things being created, and we think about the conversation about creation, we have to realize that Jesus was not a part of something being created, but rather the one responsible for the creation. And thank you, Adam. You highlighted my text this morning. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about John chapter 1 in a little bit. Uh, because there are important connections that I think is relevant to this idea of the supremacy of the Son of God. But Jesus is the one who was responsible for the creation. Jesus, is, Jesus always has been. Jesus always has been, church. Jesus always will be. He is. He is. He is. Beginning at verse number 16 in our text, this text helps us to see that. Let's take verses 16 and 17 together. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers of authority, all things have been created through him and for him. All things have been created by him and for him. And for some reason, when I was studying and preparing for this lesson, I always had in my mind the idea that everything was created through him. I resonated with that quite well. But for some reason, as I was preparing this idea for him, I go, well, you know, I, I didn't, I, somehow I missed that little piece. But I got it now. And just trying to understand, it is God's system, it is God's system that's put in place. So not only was he the creator, but it was created for him. Verse 17 of that text says, he is before all things, in all things, in him are held together. All things are him, in him are held together. To better understand verse 16 and 17 in Colossians, Let's take a look at the writings of John that Adam referenced a little bit ago. Because when I think about the creation, I just love the explanation and the way John lays it out. And, and, and when we read that first chapter of John, if we have any doubt about the process that was put in place, any doubt about who Jesus is and where he was, and any questions about the creation, I think John does a fabulous job of giving us pretty good insights. John chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is, and He will always be. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. There's the confirmation on the creation. Through Him all things were made. 
And then the writer even takes it a step further and say, listen, he made everything, but just in case you miss what I'm trying to tell you, nothing was made without him. I mean, that's emphasis on, on his role here. Though he made, all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. And then he says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus' light has forever shone, and it is shining now. And there is no darkness that could ever overcome the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Verse number 9, let's move down to there. Talks about the true light. The true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. The true light that gives everyone who is coming into the world. So how can everyone be recipients of this true light that is offered from the Son of, Je from the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Let's drop down to verse 14. Here's how. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, John says, so he tells us that it's the Son of God who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now, at this point, I would say clearly that's Jesus. But just in case you need a little bit more, let's drop down to verse number 17 to really see without any lack of understanding that it truly was Jesus who was being referred to here. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So that son that was being referenced in verse 14 is definitely our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we clearly see in verse 17. And then let's close out this section with verse number 18. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only son who is himself God. Remember we said earlier that he is the direct image of God. That's who Jesus is. So when we see Jesus, we see God. When we see Jesus, we see God. Now, I realize that we haven't physically seen Jesus. But in our mind's eye, in our faith in the scriptures, in the studying that we do, we know that there are people on earth who lived and, 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 and were witnesses of Jesus. No doubt about that. Amen? So when we are studying about Jesus and we're studying about his ways and we're trying to be like Jesus, we're trying to follow his teachings, what we're really doing is following God because he is the image of the almighty God the Father. Amen? Amen. So then, continuing in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18, the Bible says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So that in everything he might have supremacy. Christ is the head of the body, which is the church. 
The Bible is very clear on this fact. Biblical references to make this point very clear to us. There's no doubt about that. Let me give you one right now that addresses the general role of, of Christ over the church. Ephesians chapter 1. For the Bible says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. When we talk about Christ being supreme, when we talk about the supremacy of the Son of God, we have to recognize again that he created all things. Not only did he create all things, he is the head of the body, which is the church. Not only is he that, he is the beginning. Before anything else, he was. He is the firstborn from among the dead. That is, he died on Calvary's cross, got up from the grave on that third day, and the first who experienced death in an earthly body, never to die again. That's who we're talking about here. So that in everything, he might have supremacy because he is supreme. He is supreme. Church, we're talking about the supremacy of the Son of God. Let's take a look at verses 19 and 20 together in our text. Well, the Bible says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness in him. God's fullness in his Son. God's fullness in Jesus Christ. This pleased God, the writer says. And then in verse 20, and through him, watch this, and through him, through who? Through his son that has the full dwellness of God the Father, he says through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Church, listen. When we consider the supremacy of the Son of God, church, we are talking about a being that was with God in the beginning. And, and I, I pondered some time when I was putting my notes together, should I even, I don't even know that I should call the Son of God a being. But, but, but I, I had nothing in my little feeble mind that, that could describe that there was something there in the very beginning. And that which was there in the very beginning was with God. And that what was with God created the world. And so, so I, I, I just said a being being with God was the best I could do. And Father, if my thought process that ministers who you are at all, forgive me, for it's not my intent. I'm merely trying to share the message from your word and to make it in a way that I hope will bring about a better understanding for all of us. But it was him, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whom God the Father was pleased to do so, to put this process in place. Do you see the vivid connection between God the Father and God the Son? Do, do, do you see that? Do, do we see that? Do we, do we understand how powerful and how meaningful that connection 
supremacy of the Son of God. We're talking about the fact that God the Father, through His Son Jesus, our Savior, who is involved in full-time reconciliation, He is reconciling Himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Now, what does that mean for us? It means because of these biblical facts, we have the opportunity for full reconciliation. We have the opportunity for full reconciliation. One might ask, do we even need to be reconciled to God? Why do we need reconciliation? Well, I'm glad you asked. Listen to Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, verse number 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So I ask you to ask yourself, are you alienated from God? Are you living your life connected to the Savior, the one that is, and the only one there will ever be, Jesus Christ? Colossians 1.22 says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation." I love, I love the way that's written. Because what it tells me is all the charges are dropped. Whatever they were, whatever sins committed, whatever things that went wrong, even if you tried to live the most perfect life you can live without recognizing the supremacy of Jesus Christ and recognizing the vehicle for connection to the Lord is his death on the cross and his burial and resurrection. That is the key to reconciliation, to begin that process. Twenty-one, twenty-two says, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Colossians 1.23 says, if you continue in your faith, establish firm and do not from hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard that you have proclaiming, or that you've proclaimed to every creature on the earth, on the heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So one last question I would ask, how is your faith? Is it established? Is it firm? Is it a believing faith? Am I holding on to the gospel of Christ? Meaning I recognize it, I accept it, I understand it. I am not perfect, but I'm doing everything that I can to live a life in accordance with his will. Do I recognize the power of reconciliation of a reconciliation relationship with the Son of God. Questions to be asked and answered by all.
When I opened the lesson today, I mentioned that I wanted us to have a good takeaway and a good understanding on why Paul had such confidence in the writing of this text and why we too today should be able to read it and have a solid confidence in what is recorded in the Word of God and govern ourselves and our lives accordingly. What are your thoughts? For me, I think Paul really understood who Jesus is, what Jesus stood for, and what he represents. I believe that Paul clearly understood the supremacy of the Son of God. And I can see Paul making the case in our lesson text today seven times. You know, Jimmy had a phrase in, in the second session to sow that. And as I was going through this text, I came across the word all. Seven times in this text that we're reading today, Paul uses the word all. And then on two other occasions, he uses the word everything. And to me, everything kind of means all, right? If it's everything, it's all. Do you agree? Okay. And then he uses the word every. So that it sounds, so the writing reads well with those words versus the word all. But every, if every would mean all to me as well. So, so I'm saying that Paul recognized nine attributes, nine attributes indicating the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Nine of them. And that goes from 1 Colossians chapter 15 to 23. So in verse 15, I'm going to review them just very quickly here. And maybe when you get home and you want to just go in and underline, find those words and underline them and look at those texts again, because these are the building blocks, as it were, of the supremacy of the Son of God. So in verse 15, the Bible says there, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. We talked about that a little bit ago. In verse 16, for in him, the Son of God, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible. And just to really bring the point home, Paul says again in that same verse, number 16, all things have been created through him and for him. And then Paul is communicating the why in these texts of the supremacy of the Son of God. In verse 17, the Son of God, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know that song that we learned when we were in elementary school or early day Bible school? He's got the whole world in his hands. Well, when I read this text, that's the thought that came to my mind. Jesus has got the whole world in his hands. All things he's holding together. That's what he's doing for us. What a blessing that he connected to the Savior of the world. And then in verse 18, the Son of God is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, which means all things, he might have supremacy. And finally, in verse 19, verses 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth are things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed 
on the cross. Please recognize the supremacy of the Son of God. When we think about the cross, every, here's the thing about the cross. The cross sits on level ground. I don't care who you are, how much money you have in your bank account. It, it doesn't matter how much power you have in a particular position. When it comes to the cross, we all stand in need of the same thing. We all stand in need of the same thing. So many stories and paintings have been written and are painted and, and stories written uh, that talks about Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And I've seen some of those renditions where there's a door and there's a knob on the door, but the knob is on the inside. And that particular concept has been expressed. Here's the deal. Jesus is here. Jesus is knocking. You know, the Bible says he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So all of these magnificent things about the supremacy of Christ that we have been talking about, they exist to give us an opportunity to live a better life and to be in full reconciliation with our Father of the world. But you, here's the thing. We are free moral agents. Christ will never force us to follow him. We will not be forced. That door that Jesus stands and knocks, it has a doorknob, but it's on the inside. You see, that door represents the heart of every individual living. And when you want to let Jesus in, you have to open your heart from the inside. It is a heart matter. The water is ready. The clothing is ready. If you're not a Christian, be one today by faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Go down in the watery grave of baptism to rise and walk in newness of life. And all of the things that we've talked about, the relationship with Christ, the supremacy of Christ, the, 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 the road that has been laid for salvation, for reconciliation, will be yours. Will be yours. If you're subject to the master's invitation in any way, why don't you come? Why together we stand and sing the song of encouragement.